Good morning again. <laughs> Welcome to those in the sanctuary and online this morning. We're talking about prayer this month, which is a very important thing. It takes a healthy prayer life for us to grow in relationship with God. And yet it seems like a lot of people find the subject of prayer intimidating. And I think the reason for that is that deep down, everybody kind of feels like our prayer life could be better. And there's a reason why we feel that. It's because it's true, right? All relationships have room to grow, and that's what prayer is. It's relationship between us and God. And one of our core values here at Community of Grace is to invite first and next steps with Jesus. And the assumption behind that core value is that there will always be next steps, right? So whether you've never prayed before or you've been praying faithfully for 80 years, there's always more to learn. And because prayer is about relationship between who you are and who God is, what helps you feel connected to God in prayer might be different from what helps your neighbor. And in the same way, the things that challenge you about prayer might be different than what challenges your neighbor. So today we're going to talk about some of those challenges and I'm going to give some suggestions of maybe some practical tools that you could try to help you to grow in your life of faith. But before we can get to the how-to, it's good to start by identifying some things that even keep us from getting started in prayer. And I think some of the things that people have said that are a hurdle to their faith and to their life of prayer is that in prayer, they don't really know what to say to God. And because of that, they just don't pray at all. They ask themselves, is this important enough to pray about? Is this important enough to bring to God? And I can understand why people think that way, because when you are preparing to talk to an important person, you often do that. You think, okay, I have to get all my ducks in a row first, and then once I get my proposal prepared, then I'll make my presentation, right? But when it comes to God, that doesn't make any sense, because he's God. He's not waiting for you to explain anything to him. He knows more about the situation of your own heart than you and I ever will. The only way we can connect with God is for us to come imperfectly. There's no other way that we can. But our willingness to bring our hearts and bring our situations to God, even when we don't know where to start, that actually is an act of faith in Him in itself. And something happened to me recently that I think illustrates this well. It was on the Monday after Easter, I was just finishing lunch with our Juliet women's group, and I checked my phone and I saw that there was a message on it that had been left during the lunch hour, and it was my niece uh, from Fargo, and she was calling, and she left a message to say, Angie, my high school band is on the bus. We are on our way down to the Twin Cities, and we're going to have a concert at some veteran's place soon. So <laughs> it would be great if you could be there. Bye. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, that was all the information she had. You know how it is. When you're a student, they tell you to get on the bus, and all information is on a need-to-know basis, right? All she knew was that she was heading somewhere closer to me than she usually is, and that she would like to see me. So armed with that information, I got to work, and I had a kind of a guess of where she might be headed, so I called the venue, and I was right. And I found out that the concert was happening in less than an hour. I had just enough time to get in the car and make it there before the first note was played. A room full of veterans and me, front and center. <laughs> and I got to see her in action. We had a wonderful time. I got to catch up and talk with her. It was a beautiful gift. 
Now, obviously, she could have thought, I don't even know when or where this concert is happening. It's not worth calling Angie. But if she wouldn't have, if she would have let what she didn't know stop her from bringing to me what she did know, she would have taken away my opportunity to respond, for me to do what I could do to show up with her. If she thought she had to know it all before she could reach out to me, that moment would never have happened. And instead, it brought both of us joy. And in the same way, when we choose not to pray, because we feel that what we pray about might be too small or too confused to bring to God, we take away the opportunity for Him to meet us in that moment, for us to experience how God meets us there, and maybe even to see Him fill in some of those blanks for us. Because whether we pray or not, God still may be moving in that situation, but are we going to recognize what He does as an answer to a prayer that we never even bothered to pray? When we invite him in, that is an act of faith. And we don't need to let not having the words stop us from bringing our situation to God because scripture shows us we don't even need words. Romans 8.26 says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. My favorite translation of that verse is, With sighs too deep. For words to express. That God hears the intent of your heart. He hears what you mean even when all you can do is groan. What he hears is you saying, I don't know what's going on. I just know that I want you with me in it. That's a message he will always respond to because that's the kind of prayer, the kind of heart that brings God joy. See, I think sometimes we can confuse what prayer is really about. And Jesus told a parable about this in Luke 18, starting at verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Let's pause there for a moment. Think about this Pharisee's heart. If he had made those choices out of his love for God, he wouldn't be talking about himself right now, would he? (laughs) He'd be saying, God, thank you for showing me your faithfulness, your character in all this. What's next? What do you want to do next? But instead, his prayer really isn't about God at all. And he doesn't invite God to do anything either, does he? Just reporting in, God, here's my list of accomplishments. Thank you that I am so awesome. Pharisee out. (laughs) But this isn't the only prayer in Jesus' parable. In verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So let's compare those two prayers. The tax collector's prayer is not beautiful, lengthy, or elegant. It's six words long. And it's prayed by a man who had not done good deeds. He'd intentionally cheated his own people. But those six words confessed he needed God. 
And that moved God's heart a thousand times more than the good deed report from the man who probably would be hard-pressed to say why he was praying at all. God hears the cry for mercy, and he says, that's my cue. And he jumps in, and he does the work of justifying. But the Pharisee didn't invite God to do anything in his life. So where's that conversation going to go? Jesus says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Why? Because that's what we need. The broken one who calls out to God for mercy is going to get it, and they're going to keep inviting God and his power in their lives. They're going to continue to see their faith grow. But those who don't think they need God at all won't see him move until they're moved to see that they need him. And I think, honestly, for some of us, the biggest enemy of our prayer life isn't being afraid to bring things to God. It's thinking that we're just fine without him. In Revelation 3, 19 19 through 20, Jesus speaks to his people about his love for them, his longing for them to come to him. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. But just before that verse, Jesus tells us why he has to knock at all, what the heart looks like that keeps the door closed. Revelation 3, 17, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Do we think we really don't need his power to work in us, to refine us, forgive us, redeem us? Do we think we are the keepers of eternal life? Do we think that our niceness has the power to defeat death? Or does that power have to come from somewhere else? Jesus is knocking because we need what he came to give us. How will he open our eyes? I have some personal experience with this. When I was in high school, I loved to pray, and I got really comfortable approaching God as my BFF friend that I could whine to about things, who'd sympathize with me and all my troubles, and I never really considered that he might lead me to change in any way. And then one night, while I was talking at God, mid-sentence, all of a sudden it was like a veil was pulled back from heaven, and I suddenly realized who it was I was talking to, the holy, almighty, eternal, infinite God. And all of a sudden, I was overwhelmed with a holy terror, and I instantly locked into the fetal position, tight, tiny, tiny, sinful, selfish speck of life in an infinite presence of a holy God. Until slowly, that truth started to fade back to a level that I could actually handle it again. And I started to feel God's affection, his love for me, that tiny, sinful speck of life in the universe. And I didn't pray again that night, not in words anyway. I was kind of beyond that. But my prayer life really changed after that moment. Now you might ask, well, why did God do that? It's because I needed it. Because I was stuck in a place where I was painting him too small. That was God saying to me, Angie, don't forget who I am. There's more I want to be for you. Because I'd been praying like someone who goes into a doctor's office and rattles off all of your symptoms and then leaves before even asking the doctor what they think. 
I'd missed the point that I actually need to hear from the one that I'm talking to. That moment changed my prayer life because I stopped thinking about God as someone who was there to support and agree with all of my assessments of the world and started thinking, if you're Lord, I want you to show me your assessment of the world and where you want me in it. It led me into a deeper hunger to know the Bible. I wanted to know who he actually is, not just who I painted him to be. And when I prayed about my problems after that, it was with a whole different kind of heart. I started asking God to be with me in them. I wanted to hear what he wanted to do with my problems. If you're going to have a powerful prayer life, it has to start by remembering who you're talking to. And maybe that's the hurdle in your prayer life. If what's keeping you from praying is that you're afraid God isn't really God, then I dare you to talk to this God you don't believe in every day for a week, for 10 minutes. Even if what you do is tell him that you don't believe in him, talk to him. And after a week, see how you feel about whether he exists or not. I dare you. But if what's keeping you from praying is that you're afraid God really is God and he actually might respond to you, I have to tell you that's exactly why you should pray. Because this God is not only powerful and holy, he is also inexplicably for you. God would not have sent his son to die for you and to rise for you if he didn't want to invest in you for eternity. Think about that. God gave his commandments to show us how to build a trustworthy world, but Moses barely even got them down the mountain before they were all broken. If we could have the life God wants for us forever and for now by our own effort, God would not have had to send Jesus. If like the Pharisee in the parable, we think we can establish our own righteousness by doing things right, getting it all right, even praying right, we've missed the gospel. We've missed the good news that actually makes us want to pray. That God loves you too much to let that be the end of the story. That on the cross, the God had Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who had never been separated, was ripped apart when Jesus died. And in his resurrection, his heart space was opened for us to be received into his own eternal life. God made room for you in his life. But now is the time to come into that relationship. This limited time offer lasts one lifetime. He wants you to know right here and right now, when the broken world seems to give out on you, you have a home already in his love that nothing of earth can ever take away from you. And you're invited to grow in knowing that home right now, to know God's presence with you right now, every day. And that is why you pray. That is why you talk to him, because he is the one who came for you. And because no matter what happens in this broken world, the one who came for you is your home. And just like Jesus' parable shows us, being in that presence right now is as simple as the honest confession, God, I need you. And that prayer is the bedrock of growing discipleship because that confession will always be true. And he will always be true. And if you don't know that yet, that's okay. A prayer you can start with is, Lord, help me know that I need you. That prayer is just as beautiful to God because the one thing all good prayer has in common is honesty. You got to start where you are. There's really no point in trying to start anywhere else. Communication with God takes being real with him. 
Even if that means telling him your doubts, telling him you're angry, confessing your failures, your hopes, all of that is prayer. And a lot of the Psalms that King David wrote are full of expressions of anger at God, doubts about God's choices, fear and pain. And the Lord called David a man after my own heart. And Job in the Bible, in his suffering, asked God why. Asked God, challenged him to explain himself. And all of Job's pious friends, scandalized, kept telling him to shut up. Just accept everything was for the best. But by the end of the book, when God shows up, God says that Job, with all of his questions, is the righteous one. And Job's friends were the ones in the doghouse. All of that to say, with God, honest prayer is good prayer. God wants you to know he's with you where you are so he can lead you where he is. So maybe your question is today, how do I start? Well, here are some tools that you might want to use in your prayer life. Many Christians throughout history have used the book of Psalms right in the middle of your Bible as a way to get started in prayer. Praying with somebody else's words can often trigger things, thoughts, and questions that might not come to mind otherwise. A psalm a day is a good way to get started in talking to God. Other people use prayer models to help them pray. Uh, some of the more popular ones are trip, pray, and acts. For the trip model, T-R-I-P, you can use it with or without scripture. If you're using a scripture passage, you can read the verse and then ask the question, how does this verse lead me to thank God? How does it lead me to repent of things? How does it lead me to intercede, to pray for someone else? How does it help me find God's purpose for me? And the pray model stands for praise, Repent, ask for others and your own needs. The ACTS model stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, which just means praying for others and yourself. And you might notice that those models are actually pretty similar to each other. And they're kind of like the Lord's Prayer, actually, the model Jesus taught us for praying, in that they all start by having us remember who it is we're talking to. It starts with praise and thanks and adoration. God, this is who you are. You are Father, you are holy, you're good, you're kind. You're patient. Remembering who you're talking to is always a good way to start in prayer. And even if you don't have words to do that, you can start by just sitting in silence. Just contemplate the wonder of who God is, even if you can't put it in words. And that just prepares your heart space to be real with God. And after that comes repentance and confession, which makes sense because when we remember that God is God, the next thing that we remember is that we are not. And this is the time to ask God to remind you how you need his power in your life, the things that you need forgiveness for, how you've gotten off course, messed up, people that you need to forgive. That's an important one because bitterness is the enemy of the Christ-like life. And there are a lot of things in our lives that hurt us. And it's important for you to allow yourself to feel the pain and to grieve it, but not to let it attach to you. Experience it, but let it pass through. Let it attach only to Jesus, who died to redeem it. Let him set you free. After confession and repenting in those models, it leads us to talking to God about the people and the problems of our lives, intercession, supplication. And praying for other people is a really powerful thing. If we really understood the power of praying, we would do it a lot more. But I think this intercession prayer can be a big challenge for people. A lot of people keep prayer lists at home, write down a list of people and situations that you want to make sure to pray for. But the problem with lists is that that can get really dry. 
in your prayer life, right? And that's where the tool of holy imagination can be really helpful. So I want to practice this. Think right now of someone in your life that you want to pray for. Picture in your mind somebody who has a need in your life. Just let them come into your mind. Picture their face. Picture them. And now I want you to picture Jesus with that person. Blessing that person. Comforting that person. Healing that person. See in your mind Jesus' love for that person in action. That's your prayer of intercession. It can turn your prayer from a dry list into an experience with Jesus. It's one way to get through a hurdle. More often than anything, though, when I ask people about hurdles and challenges to their prayer life, what I hear most from people is that simple distractions are the things that hurt their prayer life the most. And if you've ever tried to sit down for an intentional prayer time, you probably know what I'm talking about. You sit down to start to pray, and then all you can think about are the dishes and the sink that aren't done and the stuff you need to do at work, pretty much anything else other than prayer. And there are several different things that you can do with this. If your problem is getting off track or distracted or falling asleep, if you can, praying out loud actually helps a lot. Hearing yourself what you say draws you into that relationship in prayer. Some people also keep a pad of paper next to them, and every time a distraction comes into their mind, they write it down to remind them to think about it later. For other people, instead of trying to forget their distractions, they actually pray about them. They turn them into prayers themselves. Pray for the Lord to help you get done what you need to do that day. And other people pray better when they're actually moving. So they turn their task into a metaphor for prayer. So for example, as they scrub the dishes, they pray, God, scour the bitterness and unforgiveness off my heart. Help me forgive. Sounds weird, but it really helps. And if sitting still doesn't work for you, go for a prayer walk. Have the things that you see around you trigger gratitude, things to pray for. Pray for your neighbors, your neighborhoods. Maybe for you, it isn't just distractions that's a problem. Maybe it's finding time to sit down to pray at all. And in her book, Discerning the Voice of God, Priscilla Shire suggests for busy parents to write down one verse for a week on several different index cards and post them all around the house or the car, places you see often. And for that week, every time you see that verse, ask God to show you what he's saying to you, how it applies to your week. You see, often if you don't feel like your prayer life is going anywhere, the problem might be that you're talking too much. Maybe you need to work on your listening prayer. And I know for me, I always hear best from God when I'm reading his word, that God often speaks through the scripture. When I'm reading things, all of a sudden something will stand out as an answer to prayer. God also often speaks through repetition. When the same thing seems to keep up popping up in different places in your life, it might be a good idea to share that with Christian friends and ask, do you think God is speaking to me in this? If you feel like God is showing you something, write it down. Journaling really helps in noticing ways that God is speaking to you. And if you want to practice listening prayer, another thing you could do in your prayer time is to ask God to bring one word into your mind, to just sit in silence until a word comes into your mind and then pray about it, what God is telling you through that word. 
Or if you're a visual person, to ask God to show you an image, to bring an image to your mind. God did this a lot in the Bible, communicating by symbols. God knows the language of your heart, so his communication is personal. But sometimes prayer is just as simple as sitting in the presence of God. There was a time in my life when I really hated doing this because it seemed like every time I would do this, I would just end up crying. But the truth is, there were things I needed to grieve in my life, and usually I wouldn't slow down enough to actually do it until I was just sitting in that safe place with Jesus. And those tears were prayer. That prayer takes being vulnerable in what you give God, and it's in being vulnerable enough to receive what he's giving you. That's what it takes for a relationship to grow, right? And we can only trust him with all of our lives when we know that he is God and that he is good. And there's no time to start like the present. So today, along with the tax collector of Jesus' parable, please pray with me. God, I need you. I confess I often don't know what to pray. I get distracted. I forget who I'm talking to. I don't even know all the ways that I've sinned or fallen short or failed you. But when I remember you, Jesus, all I know is I want to know you more. And I want to know your will for me. So help me to remember to invite you in and to watch where you're moving. Show us, Lord, both that you're God and that we need you to be God in us. And lead us every day into your presence. And all this we pray in Jesus' name.